But having like an operating system and and making sure that you've got a process to follow, you know, like I don't care what the process is. It's like, this is the process, everyone do it. And then when everyone's doing it, when everyone's executing it, now you can see where the pitfalls of it. So now you can adjust it. You know what I'm saying? But, but when you've got 35 people doing 35 different things from a management level, it's chaos, like yeah. just complete chaos. So if you're a real estate investor who's sick and tired of living deal to deal, then welcome home. Hear from everyday real estate investors just like you and discover how they've completely transformed their business by taking a profit first approach. This is the Profit First for REI podcast, where we believe revenue is vanity, profit is sanity. It's time to start making profit a habit in your business. So here's your host, David Richter. We have Jenny Husbeth on today, and this is going to be, if you are struggling with deal consistency, deal flow, the sales side, if you're starting to hire anyone, maybe a cold caller or a lean manager, or maybe to replace yourself, there's some great practical tools that she has. Then she talks about also with the sales side, how important profit first is to making sure that if the sales are coming in, that she knows that she's keeping the money. So this is someone who has literally done over a thousand deals in 12 months. Now, I don't talk, I'm not talking about in her lifetime, but was part of a thousand transactions in a 12 month span. So she knows it at a small level when there was just eight people to hundreds of people that she was working with. So this is an awesome episode. Take as much as you can from it. And then please go out there, make the money and then keep it too. Hey, hey, here we are. Another episode of the Profit First for Real Estate Investing podcast. I'm David Richter. This is Jenny Hudspeth. I'm really excited here because she works with one of my really good friends, Annie Yatch, and she is amazing. And I know anyone that comes into Annie's world is amazing as well. And just the few minutes of beforehand that we've been talking, I know Jenny's awesome. So Jenny, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk to you. Well, and that's where... What we talk about a lot is keeping the money that people make. You know, like if you're going to make money, you might as well dang freaking keep it. You know, it's like, I want you to keep the money. But on the flip side of that is sales. Like you need sales coming in the door or who cares? Who cares if you have a great financial system set up on the back end, if you have no deals closing or if you have nothing coming across. And that's where Jenny can definitely help on this side. Like I'm going to definitely ask her just some of the things, best practices. She's, I was reading the bio because I never read bios on here. It's like, oh, I mean, I don't need to read word for word. But one part was she's closed over a thousand transactions in a 12 month period. You know, it's like, okay, how do you do that? You know, like I uh, we're So we're going to focus on some of that today. But Jenny, why don't you give people a little bit of the background because you been in the real estate world. You're one of us. Like This is definitely for real estate. This podcast is for the real estate investing community. So just tell us a little bit about where you've been and then where you are now. Well, I have been in the real estate investing space for a little over four years now. So I came in early 2019 and have kind of seen a lot of the the ups and downs. And um, and I worked in um, a, a very large real estate investing organization that primarily focused on wholesale. Um, I started as a lead manager, which is something that not a lot of people know about me. I started as an inside sales rep and shortly after... Um, 
being onboarded with that organization, moved into a sales management role, and then finally ended my career there um, with that company as their director of acquisitions and training. So I've got experience scaling a business in a really, really massive way. We started with probably eight employees in 2019. That was when I when I was there um, and uh, ended managing and directing that um, organization with about 35 acquisition managers, about 75 lead managers. And then the flip side of the coin, my um, my kind of counterpart on investment sales, um, he had about 15 um, disposition reps, investment sales agents. So uh, we went from like $400,000 in net rev in, in 2018, 2019 to like on path to to on a path to 20 million um, in, in 2022. So I've hired over 200 and trained over 200 plus sales reps coming into an organization at a really high level and learned a lot, fell on my face multiple times, um, but but really got some of the best tools in, in the industry, had really high level conversations with a lot of really cool people. Um, you know, just being able to have a seat at a table like that was just um, such an amazing and like humbling and honoring opportunity. Yeah, yeah so. no, that's awesome because, well, we have a lot more in common than I thought too, because I started in a real estate investing company and they were doing five wholesale deals a month and we scaled it to about 25, you know, a month that we were doing. So it was a, definitely a high, high volume organization and got to see a lot of different things behind the scenes. But what house? Okay. You said you like interviewed or hired 200 people. That's crazy. That's a big number of people. So how small was it when you first started in 2018? Like what was the team size? Cause you said 400 in revenue. So 400 K in revenue, that's still pretty good. So what did the team like look before you hired like dozens so of people? There were about eight of us on staff, about okay. eight people. And I moved into that sales management role and quickly turned over the entire sales team, which is not something that I'm proud of, but it's something that happened. Um, okay. You know, doing things like internal audits, which no one likes an audit, you know, um, right. Um, like inventory audits, pipeline audits. They were like, Jenny, if you say the word audit one more time, we're going to pull our face off. Um, <laughs> so yeah, we started We started with a very small crew of about eight people. And um, one of the first things that um, I was tasked with was building out the lead management side of our organization. Um, and so I, um, I had about four reps in, in um you know, overseas, about four different reps that had come in um, out of Belize. And I took those four reps and those four turned to 11 and those 11 turned to 21 and those 21 turned to 75. Um, So, you know, grew that big organization offshore, raised up a director um, from Belize um, to kind of manage that division and department um, while building out the acquisition side of things. So, um, you know, everyone that came into the organization went through my training program. Um, And so it was all different roles, all different, you know, as you're scaling at that rate, there's so many people coming in and, and going out. And if you're implementing things like top grading and you're implementing performance reviews at a high level, like, um, the goal is that you're elevating your bottom 30% or removing them. And so, um, you know, just trying to get that all figured out from a management perspective was, was a lot. So yeah, we, we hired a lot of people. (laughs) That's nuts. 
Okay, keep going. I don't want to stop you. Uh, no, that was really, I was just going to say, you know, and then having to dial in the retention side of things. Mm-hmm. Like we don't mm-hmm. want to continue just being this revolving door of salespeople. And so I had to figure out like, how do I keep, how do I keep my best people really happy and supported and, and growing? And, um, and then how do I help my, how do I help that tier that's just not quite there? How do I help them elevate? And then um, that bottom tier, how do I, how do I quickly identify the people who just aren't a culture fit, who aren't a performance fit, who aren't, um, who aren't aligned with where we're going? How do I identify those people quickly? At scale? Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that's very interesting because I feel like a lot of people start down the road of real estate and they all say, right, scale, scale, scale. And one of the first places they need to scale is like they need the sales coming through the door so they can keep, you know, growing the business. And that's where I felt like you have a lot of experience in that department of going from eight people to I, how many were there before you left, like on the sales staff. Do you know about how many you had in total at the end of your tenure there? We had about we had probably between 100 and 150 on staff. Wow. Somewhere in there. I know that's like a 50, like 50 people is like a lot of people. But like when, when you think about between cold callers, VAs, list builders, marketing, recruiting, um, say, you know, inside, inside sales, outside sales, dispo management, um, all of those moving parts, we were probably close to 150 people. Um, just sales alone, like my responsibility was acquisitions as I, because I built up the lead management side and I put, we were able to put in place a director over that department, which was this, she was a sales manager that I had supported and, um, you know, got to love on her as she kind of came into the organization and, and rooted herself. Um, and so once I handed off lead management, then I was able to really focus on acquisitions. And I had two sales managers that reported directly to me as the director, and they had their own sales teams. Yeah. Um, and they probably had about 15 each, 15 people on their wow. team. So there were 30 to 35. Um, and we were kind of shifting from a boots on the ground model to more of a virtual model. So we kind of had some hybrid roles. We had some online, you know, virtual reps. So you know, at any given moment, probably about 35 active acquisitions reps. Okay. So you said you fell on your face a couple of times. What would you have done differently? And so, you know, as you were scaling and growing, cause that's like, I'm sure a lot of people want bigger numbers, big, you know, doing the bigger things, having the financial freedom, you know, like they're just wanting to scale and grow. But like, what would you say you would have done differently on the way up? So, I had no previous management experience, okay. um, which is not something that that most people who get put into those arenas say. Right. Um, you know, so for me, there was a lot of internal struggle and, and that internal confidence, that self talk piece, okay. um, because I was, you know, I was 26 when I started in the organization. I'm 31. Um, 31 now. And um, I remember like in the first two weeks of being there, I looked at my boss and I was like, what's equity? And nice. he was like, oh my gosh, That's like right. I hadn't bought my first home yet. So, yeah. um, you know, what would I have done differently? I think that as I matured in, in the management kind of arena, I learned that it's not about me. Um, you know, I've, I've got a journal, like a little notebook here that, um, that like, this is where all the important things go. 
Um, and the first thing that it says is it's not about me. Hmm. Um, and so what, th- what does that mean? Oftentimes, you know, I, I thought that I had to have it all figured out. I had to have the answers. If I didn't have the answer, no one would think that I was qualified or capable of being in the role. So I felt like I had these big shoes to fill and that I had to learn everything and answer all the questions and put out all the fires. And when I realized that the subject matter of every thought that I was having was so so self-centered, it was all about like, I got to do this. I got to figure it out. I need to be enough. Once that voice, once I was able to quiet that voice and recognize that my job as the director is to support the team and process and performance, like once I was able to really define my role, I realized like, how, how do you support people? Well, you ask mm-hmm. them, what support do you need? Not how can I help you? What support do you need? I think once I learned that it wasn't about me and it was about my team and that what they needed and I didn't need recognition, I didn't need accolades, I didn't need them to say, I love you, I appreciate you. I, you know, I, I had to quiet all of that. Um, and once I learned, you know, to ask the right questions, I think is, is so if I would go back, I would, I would have been much more prepared to ask the right questions starting out the gate. Yeah. Um, questions around around what do they need? What support do they need? Who do they want to be? Where do they want to be? Where are they? Um, and helping them connect those dots of this is who I am today and this is who I want to be by the end of my career here. Um, I think that we could have built the bridge. And then the second thing is um, the the importance of a process. Um, you know, I think in the sales and just on the sales side of things, we focus so heavily on the sales process um, and everybody like lives and dies by the sales process. But we forget that there's a management process, that there's an operations process, that there is there are processes like processes on processes on processes. Yeah. Um, and so to be able to have a consistent consistency, everyone has to be in the same boat. What I mean by that is my favorite question was, are you in process? Or are you out of process? And if you don't know what the answer is, it's probably because you don't have a process. Like, you know what I mean? So like mm-hmm. if, if I ask someone, are you, are your, is your sales team in process? Or are they out of process? And they say, what do you mean? I know we have a lot of work to do. Um, and, and, it, and I think I focused a lot on what is my team doing wrong? Where are the holes? Where's the leaky bucket? Versus I had to learn, okay, who's doing it right? Mm. And how do I get everyone? Because there's always somebody on my team doing it right. There's always somebody doing something well. If I can find those things that are working really well and just get consistency across the organization, get everybody in process doing this thing, then I can measure it. And then I can then I can make changes to it and I can hold people, I can help people hold themselves accountable to it. Um, and I can form reports around it. We can form, you know, we can make it visible. So that's, those are the things that I think I would have learned, you know, would have loved to go back and like have a do over. So then how did you learn those things? Like, was it maturity or was it books or was it a leader, a mentor? Like, how did you go from, I have no idea what this is to, you know what? I need to support the team. It's not about me. And I need to make sure that we're in process. So what would you say is 
All of the above. above. I had an incredible mentor in the organization. My COO really supported me and, um, and communicated. We had, we had very clear communication, um, very open and vulnerable communication. Um, you know, I think a lot of times, um, that relationship between manager and and mentor inside the organization, like you can be, um, People think like I need to just I need to put on my best self and I need to show up and I need to always save face. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I need help. Like I'm I don't know, you know, and I just was able to be honest. Um, And and I think that there's like so much power and just extreme honesty and vulnerability. So I had a phenomenal mentor um, who built an incredible support system of leadership staff. So not only did you know, not only was I a part of, you know, an integral part of the team, I had people who were who were right there with me as a safety net for me. Um, I did read I've read a lot of books. Um, it was a requirement inside of our organization. So, um, I mean, there's some really just phenomenal sales books. Um, Annie, my business partner now was a mentor for me Um in the past. And, and I went through a curriculum that she had designed for leadership that really challenged me and grew me as a leader. Um, having, um, a, you know, supporting coaches, sales coaches outside of the organization, I think is, is, you know, everybody needs something. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I heard a lot of, I had a lot of internal communication with people inside of the company, but being able to have that third party, like outside of the fold perspective gave me a lot of peace. And so I had multiple sales, you know, executive coaches to support me outside of the organization through the tenure there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like, so, you know, Gary and Susan Harper going through Sharper, going through Annie and Larry's program, um, SEAL Team Leadership, um, Howard Shore Activate Group, um, books like um, What the Heck is EOS, The Sales Boss, Jonathan Wisman. That was one of the very first books I read in management. Um, phenomenal, but, you know, baseline for like if you've never been a sales manager. Yeah. Just a really great starting point. And then reading books like Multipliers, Liz Wiseman, um, How to Win Friends and Influence People, um, you know, um, Good to Great. Uh, I mean, all the all the best-selling sales yeah. books. But I would say Sales Boss changed my life. Multipliers changed my life. Impact Players changed my life. Nice. Um and probably top grading. Nice. You've had your life changed several times. So that's yeah. not, no, well, that's good stuff. different iterations of yes. growth. Like it's about, you know, figuring out and like, it's not just about God. There are so many people who just like read books and read and listen to audiobook after audiobook after audiobook. And like, you're only getting 30% of what you listen to the first time. Yeah. Um, so, Oh, um, Eliza Goldratt, the goal. Okay. That book, another one. There we go. I know. Gosh, they're just they're so good. That <laughs> one was that one was such a different book. The goal was such a different book for me because it's all about um, like um, the theory of constraints, and it's like going through this concept of like a a, pl- an, a plant, not a not a like green plant, like a um, manufacturing plant. Yeah, and how like to increase 
productivity and profitability. And it talks about this kind of um, assembly belt. And that's really like inside of like a real estate investing organization. It's really linear. It's not super complex. Like there are complex pieces to it, but it's really a linear process. Like money spent on marketing, marketing happens, marketing hits, leads come in, leads are converted, appointments are attended, offers are made. Yeah. Properties are contracts, just this assembly line. And so like we always had this pendulum swing. We saw this like just um, inconsistency from yeah. like we can acquire properties. Well, we can't sell them. Well, we can sell properties, but we don't have enough. You know, so we were just pendulum swinging and we, w- we were able to kind of pinpoint our bottlenecks. Um, so that was a really great book for that um, book that- helped you pinpoint those bottlenecks, because if there's one thing that I feel like is touted out there multiple times by multiple people all the time is like inconsistent deal flow or inconsistency in the business. So you would say the goal is something that helped you to pinpoint some of those in the process? I think it was getting the perspective around how to measure at each stage. Uh, Okay. And so we were able to more quickly identify where the biggest impact on the business would be because of the concepts of the book. Yeah. No, that's really good. No, I like that a lot because, like I said, if you're listening now as the lister, you've probably, and you've been in the real estate world at all, you've probably felt the inconsistency that Jenny's talking about here. So there you go. Go get the book, The Goal by Who? Who was that again? Uh, Elijah Goldratt. Okay. Uh, This book was straight up written in like the 80s. And it's this thick. She's. If you're just listening, it's... Really, it's good. like so. three in, like it's like a Harry Potter book. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so the goal by Elijah Goldratt, and you just dated yourself a little bit there too. This was written yeah. in the eighties, so so you know they spoke old English back then. I think I'm yeah, just kidding. For sure. That's but, great. So I mean, as far as sales books are concerned, though, there's been a ton of new yes. age sales oh, books. Yeah. So this one is like a. It's kind of stood the test of time. I think the concepts yeah. are just that good. Um. So oh, really I, good. I mean. But I, I would say as far as inconsistent deal flow, the biggest, that's a really great book for understanding the concepts of productivity and how to yeah. measure. But having like an operating system and, and making sure that you've got a process to follow, you know, like I don't care what the process is. It's like, this is the process, everyone do it. And then when everyone's doing it, when everyone's executing it, now you can see where are the pitfalls of it. So now you can adjust it. You know what I'm saying? But but when you've got 35 people doing 35 different things from a management level, it's chaos, like just complete chaos. So, well, what about the people that are just starting out? Maybe they have only one or two team members. Do you think that this would help them as well? Getting some type of just operating system up and running, having some processes, like how soon should they start thinking about this? Immediately. I, oh, okay. I, if I could have gone back, if I could have gone back to the very first month of me as a sales manager, I would have observed what was happening. I would have written down, hey, what what are they doing that's working? I would have yeah. analyzed all of the deals that we won, like that we'd are like hmm. prior to me coming in, I'm going to look at all of the deals that were successful. And I want to try to identify trends as to why. Why were these things successful? How were we able to get these things done? How long did it take us? Um, and and kind of see what processes did we follow to get those deals done? And then I want to make that my standard. This is the baseline of what we do and how we do it. 
That's awesome because I feel like we just went full circle there because like if you're just starting out, then you need to analyze the deals that you've won and like what went right here and like how can I do this over and over again? Well, it's that question, like it's the understanding of like if we're doing more of the right things, Yeah. if we do more of the right things consistently, the wrong things go away naturally. And we spend all of our attention trying to figure out what the hell is wrong with my business, what the heck is going on, Yeah. you know, and we try to pinpoint the problems because we think if we put those fires out, then we'll magically grow and be better. But the reality is the flip side of that, like we've got to get out of that mindset of this is where I'm, where I'm going wrong and look for where is, where in my business is it working? Yeah, no, that's really good. Cause you also said too, a little while ago that you wish you would have analyzed your good people or like done that faster too. So it's almost like, okay, when you're first starting out, you analyze the deals one and like, what are we doing? Wrong things. Yeah, I was, exactly. Well, the audits, all the things that I was doing, like the auditing was looking for where did they make mistakes? And so I diminished my salespeople yeah. to the point where they were like, it's not even worth it, mm-hmm. right? This is not even worth it. So yeah. I'm going through and trying to, because I was trying to figure out the process. I was trying to figure out where are we, you know, my analytical brain was was taking over versus my like people support brain. Right. I was, I was, I was taking this like a tax auditor and no one likes tax auditors, you know, like right? I, yeah. they viewed yeah. me like the IRS and, and yeah. that really sucked. But if I would, had I gone in to those audits and said like, oh my gosh, this is where you're doing this right. This is where yeah. this is happening. Right. Like keep doing this. We need to make sure everyone on the team is doing this and following in your footsteps. Like that would have multiplied yeah. my team instead of, Diminishing. Yeah, exactly. So that I feel like that's a good progression. So if you're listening to this now and you're like, okay, what do I need to take from this? Analyze the deals one to see what you can replicate consistently. Like, how did you get that deal? Where did it come from? Like, how did you close it? Where did the buyer come from? Like, look at all those good stuff. And then if you start to hire people, then you see the people that are doing the right things and you're trying to replicate them. You're not trying to recreate the wheel. So like yep. that, that was good. That was, I really liked that a lot, but this is the profit first RI podcast. We got to talk a little bit about yes. profit first, because especially since you started to implement it in what you're doing now. So tell people what you're doing now. You've got the REI sales tool, your partners with Annie. Like I like all the stuff that you're into now. So give a people like what you're doing. And then also tell, tell a little bit what you said, even before we started recording, like you've got some of the accounts set up from profit first and like the piece that you have through that. So I'm totally setting you up. No, I love it. Um, so, so since September of last year, Annie and I kind of formed um, formed our partnership. Our company is called REI Sales Tools. And when I describe it, kind of my elevator pitch is essentially it's it's a mastermind for your people. Um, and so what what we do, we've got a lead management funnel where we teach and coach and support lead managers. We've got an acquisition funnel where we support acquisition managers. And then for those of you who are like me, who kind of um, got dumped into that sales manager seat, maybe you're the C, you know, CEO and you're sitting in that seat and you're like, I have no idea. This is not my this is not my niche. This is not my genius zone. Um you know, we have a sales management funnel where we we coach and support sales managers as they implement their operating systems, as they um, create performance trackers, core values, integrating the their vision of the business into real life implementation with their salespeople. Um, so that is those are some of the things that I would say that that we do um, yeah. consistently as far as profit first is concerned, because we are so new. 
Um, and, and our partnership kind of came, um, it just, it was a very organic kind of thing that mm. just, yeah. I don't believe in happenstance. I believe it was just so very ordained. Uh, I didn't have, you know, I, I had left the organization. I was gone from that organization for two days. I called Annie. I said, this is what I would love to do. And she was like, sign me up. Nice. <laughs> um, and so, um, you know, we, we've, we have started the beginnings of Profit First. So we've got our profit account. We've got our operation, uh, you know, our um, operating expenses account. We've got our income account and we have a tax account. Um, and so we have, um, we've created those accounts so that we can set this, um, the Profit First model up yeah. so that at, by the end of the year when tax season comes around, like I have peace that, my family's not going to suffer and the Annie's family isn't going to suffer because we have to come up with thousands of dollars for, for our taxes. Yeah. And, um, you know, we have it set aside so that that money isn't used on the business or in the business. It is, it's dedicated to it's an, it's intentional purpose. Yeah. Um, the one thing that we say always is that we do business differently. We really strive to be intentional with our relationships, with our choices. You know, we've got our core values and, and if, if a if a business decision comes up, we we sift that those core values are our colander. Yeah. Um, we sift every decision through those core values and profit first for us aligned with everything that that we are, everything that we want to be in building out our business, and it gives us just such an overwhelming amount of peace operating. Yeah. Um, well, I, I just uh, I'm totally going to dovetail this into what you've been talking about. It's a system for your money. Yes. And, right? and, and not there knowing anything <laughs> like this, I swore I would never be my own business owner. Like I would never own my own business. Never say never. Never say never. Right. Your yeah. words are so powerful. And yeah. I, now I couldn't be more blessed to be my own owner. Um, you know, to be able to do business the way I want to do business, um, to put my heart and soul into it. Um, I was on a call yesterday um, going through um, with Brandon McCurdy, um, or no, it was Austin, Austin McCurdy. And he was, he was kind of taking some of the people in CG through the basis of their, their rise um, process, which is an operating system that Sharper has, has created. But one of the things, one of the first questions that he asked is, what are you grateful for? And I wrote down, like, I get to do business that I love. And, and I also get to be the wife and the mom that I'm proud of. Um, so it's like, I've been able to just never say never. I've been able to do things I never thought I was capable of. And I, I love that we have a process for our finances that's simple and effective. And it gives me peace and perspective and I can make decisions whether or not we need to, we need to travel here or, um, you know, we're kind of working through our digital platform now trying to up-level our websites and make sure that our systems on the backside are good. And like, do we really want to spend this money? Do we have it to spend? What profit mm -hmm. are we taking home? You know, just being able to see those bank accounts and see the numbers tick up or go down. Right. Oh, that's good. Uh, I appreciate that because that's where I just want to make sure that people have that clarity and it looks like you're getting that clarity and it's like get, helping you make the decisions you need to make, which now, since we're getting to the final minutes here, that REI, the REI sales tool sounds awesome because I love lead manage the acquisition. Man what I'm really interested in is the sales managers because I feel like at any point an owner could take 
that course and be like, okay, how do I actually manage this team? Because so many people haven't been managers in their life or like they've become the entrepreneur and they've had the corporate world managers, but they've never been manager of a small business. So I feel like I, that's needed. It's the, the term that I would use isn't yeah. manage. I mean, it's managers, like that's sure. the role, but um, implementers. Okay. Like I, I wish that like, I wish that we could change their titles to like sales implementers yeah. um, because oftentimes what, what we do, or at least what I've seen in the space so far is like, there's so much great content out there in the world. Like there's just so much good stuff. Yeah. Um, and is. like I said, this book changed my life and that book changed right. my life. But at the end of the day, if no one takes action and implementing any of the things from your book or from, right. from multipliers or from, sharper or from seal team like if you're not taking the things that you're giving um and implementing them for your business um one of the things that we've really been focusing on in that sales manager funnel over the last couple of months has been um giving these owners the perspective that this is not a stamp like mm. the the tools in the space in the world like any, anything, like you cannot just take something that somebody else's and stamp it on your business and expect it to work. Right. You just can't. It's not a one size fits all solution. The concepts of the concepts of your book, the concepts of my program, the concepts of other people's programs, you've got to internalize those, process those, pick and choose which ones align with your business and with yeah. your mission and vision, think strategically about it and then implement at a high level. And so implementation is the biggest thing that, that we've been focused on. And it's like, what is the desire? What is my desired end state? That yeah. is the emotional and successful feeling I want to feel once I'm done with my business. Yeah. And, and for us, the emotional successful feeling is, that we know where we're at financially and we can make business decisions based off of those things. We want to have peace in our finances and that's why we implemented profit first. And we're still in the baby stages. Like yeah. we've got our accounts are we've, we've determined our percentages of, you know, what, what are the percentages and how is this money going to go directly into this account? So that yeah. there's, there's as little, um, human error as possible. Right. Yeah. I don't want to have to control this. I want it to be controlled as a process and an automation without me so that I can't screw it up. <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. That's awesome. I, I appreciate that. And I appreciate the perspective on sales managers should be sales implementers and taking what you learn and actually going out there and taking action with it. But that's, this has been an awesome episode. So Jenny, how do they get a hold of you? So like, how, what's the website? How do they make sure that they want the REI sales tools? Absolutely. So you guys can go to reisalestools.com or you can shoot me an email or find me on Facebook. My name is Jenny Hudspeth and my email is Jenny, J-E-N-N-I-E at reisalestools.com. There you go. That's how you can get a hold of her or go to the website, check that out. That's where, uh, I, honestly, I can't endorse Annie and Jenny enough. Like these are incredible people. So that will really help you on the sales side, which like I said, I mean, I teach profit first all the time. We talk about it all the time, but who cares about the financial side if you're not closing deals and you're not getting this stuff actually in the door. So you got to make sure that you're going out there, getting the deals closed, but then you better know what to do with the money after. And listen to Jenny, if you're out there, 
well, just like Jenny, you know, like what she said, like she has that peace of mind, knowing where the cash is going, knowing the different accounts, knowing that she's going to have the tax money. Like if you don't have that peace of mind, reach out to us at simplecfo.com. We can make sure to hook you up with one of our CFOs or at least give you some of the training, the book or whatever. So we can at least help you down that road. Because if you go with her and implement, then you need to make sure you have something on the back end to catch the dollars that you're going to make from her from her program and the stuff that she goes through. So there you go. Right. There you go. There's her guns right there. No, good stuff. But that's where, if you're listening to this, thank you so much. Remember to make profit a habit in your business. And Jenny, thank you for being a great guest on the show. Thank you guys. This episode of the Profit First for REI podcast is over, but there are plenty more where that came from. Are you ready to learn how David and his team can help implement the Profit First system in your business? Schedule a discovery call at simplecfo.com right now. We'll see you next time on the Profit First for REI podcast with David Richter.